Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're with us today. Hope you're ready to study the Bible and learn a little bit more about your Bible. That's our goal on this program is to help all of us know our Bible a little bit better. The way we do that on this program is just answer questions. Uh, we know that a lot of people have a lot of questions about the Bible, maybe some verse that they've always wondered what it meant, or maybe a doctrine or a topic in the Bible that they're not sure of, or maybe it's just some kind of life event, something going on in your family or at work that, or in the news that you wonder, what's the Bible say about that? What would God think of that? Uh, we'll try to find an answer for you to any of those kind of things. So that's what we do, and the way we get your questions is there's a phone number, website on the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. Uh, tell us your question or what you've been wondering about. We'll put it in the list and get to it just as quickly as we can. When I say we, I mean me, Steve Tandy, and my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're back. And Ready to go here, and uh, we've always got one for our viewers before we get to answering our questions. Uh, this one is about Demetrius, fellow in the New Testament, had kind of an unusual occupation. Uh, if you can tell us that, we'll uh, see if you got it right at the end of the program. We'll give you the answer. So what did Demetrius do for a living? All right, poor old Noah. How in the world did he do that? <laughs> A little, a little tricky. A uh, question is asked, how did Noah feed all the animals on the ark as well as keeping them from eating each other? Well, uh, the Bible doesn't really tell us exactly how Noah did it. Uh, we, we know that he did because we're still here and the animals are here and um, there's all sorts of details like that when you really stop to think about putting a, a two of every uh, kind of animal and uh, all the different clean and unclean animals and then of course Noah and his family and there's a, it's a lot of logistics you have to think about in terms of not just feeding the animals but uh, making sure they get uh, enough to drink and handling waste and you know figuring out all the issues that you brought up uh, I, I think clearly there's you know some things and Maybe it was uh, necessity is the mother of invention. God said build the ark, and Noah and his sons and family figured out the way to do that. Obviously, it was a more uh, agricultural world, and they were probably used to handling animals anyway. Uh, and so maybe they figured it out on their own. Um, I also could see where God instructed him on how to build it. He probably could have given him some instructions on how to how to handle not just building the structure, but um, give more instructions on the best ways to handle the animals as they were on the ark um, for a, over a year. Um, maybe it was both. We don't know. The Bible just does not tell us uh, how they did it and how they went about it. It's kind of interesting to think about. Uh, if you go to the um, pretty well-known 
uh, ARC uh, experience in, in museum in Kentucky. It's uh, quite a uh, interesting exhibit to see something and when you see the ARC full scale, and of course that's just simply their idea what it looked like. We really don't know other than the dimensions. We don't know exactly what the ARC looked like, um, but they have it built to uh, what they think it might have looked like in the exact dimensions. And I haven't been to it myself, but I've talked to enough people that have that they say when you get inside, it is truly overwhelming just to see the amount, the sheer amount of volume of space that you have and uh, it easily becomes, you, you can picture how uh, they would have, and I believe they're in, they, they kind of walk through, here's some ways they could have handled the water solution, here's how they might have handled the food solution, here's how they would have handled the animal waste and all of that. So of course all of that is speculation, but uh, probably, probably pretty close um, to what they might have done. Uh, in any case, we know that they did it. We know that they were able to do it because Noah was a man of faith. And that's what the scriptures really would to highlight about that story, that not necessarily how they did it, but why Noah and his family did it. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It tells us the answer. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. So, the Bible doesn't tell us how, but it certainly tells us why. And uh, that's the important thing to remember. Mm -hmm. All right, if you were in, uh, reading Acts and wants to know what could have been so bad uh, that Paul sent John Mark away, well... Got the gist of the story, but maybe we better just check it out, see exactly what happened, because I'm sure many viewers aren't familiar with the the, the story our viewer brings up. Uh, basics: Paul, Barnabas, and Barnabas's cousin John Mark were on a missionary trip, and chapter 13 of Acts, verse 13, uh, says, "From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia." where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Okay, so John left on that first missionary journey, we call it. <clears throat> and then in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are planning a second missionary journey. So here's the rest of the history. Uh, sometime later, verse 36 of 15, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Okay, so Paul didn't send him away. Uh, John Mark deserted them is the way Paul saw it, and Barnabas had gotten over it and wanted to take him. And then verse 39 says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left uh, and went to Syria and Cilicia. Okay, so that's the whole story, and that's all we know about it is John Mark deserted them on the first trip. He was a young man. Uh, best explanation or easiest <clears throat> is he got homesick uh, and got all tired of this traveling and went home to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't know why he left, but Paul thought he deserted them. Okay, and 
the rest of the story. The good news is that when we get over to Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, Paul's in prison and he writes to Timothy and he says, do your best to come to me quickly. And then in verse uh, uh, 11, he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. So when Paul was an old man, all was forgiven. Uh, John Mark was helpful to him and he wanted him by his side again. So uh, that's the story of Paul and John Mark and that's about all we know about it. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever asked the question about Jesus and Michael, the archangel? Uh, and the question is, are Jesus and Michael and the arch Michael the Archangel the same and no Jesus is definitely different than Michael the Archangel I know some I've kind of seen some theories about people think that well he's a superior angel clearly and and but uh, the when you understand and study what the idea of angel means in the Old Testament and the new the idea is simply a servant a created being and uh, those two ideas are definitely as you understand who Jesus is who preceded all things who was with God in the beginning who's not a created being and is superior to angels the scriptures clearly uh, spell out not only in defining angels but also in showing us the nature of Jesus that Jesus is far far superior to not just uh, Michael but any of the angels so um, uh, angels are are higher up, you might say, than human beings, but they are still lower than, than deity itself. Um, Michael actually is only mentioned by name uh, one time that I could find in Jude chapter 1, verse 9. There's other occasions where people think well, that might be Michael, but uh, in all cases, Jesus is superior to the angels, uh, archangel or no. So it's an interesting uh, question about the organization and structure of angels, but don't get too tied up in it It's because uh, it gets to a point where you just don't know and the Bible doesn't tell us. But clearly the Son is different than the servants. Let's read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. He is the radiance of the glory of God, speaking of Jesus, and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, beca having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So just one of several verses that remind us that uh, Jesus is much higher than the angels. We don't worry about following angels or, or praying to angels or anything like that. They're just servants made to serve God. We, we worship the Son and follow Him. If you're watching this program, you obviously have some interest in the Bible and what it has to say about things. Uh, but if you really want to know your Bible, you ought to spend some time studying your Bible. And that's one of the goals of this program is to get people studying their Bible in their own home and uh, see what God has to say to them. So uh, we know that's <clears throat> easy for some of our viewers. They're regular Bible students. They're used to it. They have a habit. Uh, but it's also hard for some folks to get started in Bible study. So we've got some tools that we think are very, very helpful <clears throat> in studying your Bible. Uh, we'll send them to you absolutely free of charge. Uh, this is one course that we've got. It's the first one that we send out, and it's just very basic, good overview. 
Then we've got more advanced courses. One of them goes all the way through the book of Acts, uh, which probably one of our viewers was studying when they found that question about John Mark uh, by reading through Acts. So we've got those, and then we've got some online courses that we're happy to add to our uh, offerings. Uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and give them your information, and they'll get you started studying uh, Bible online. Do it uh, wherever you are, whenever you are, and don't have to wait for the mail or fill out paperwork. Uh, saves us a little postage that way. We pay for the postage and everything, so it's absolutely free whether you want the print or the online. So. Phone number, website on the screen, use those anytime, tell us you'd like a free course. We'll get it started for you and you can learn a little bit more about your Bible. Got a question about uh, wearing a cross. A viewer says, is wearing a cross around your neck an acknowledgement of being a Christian? Uh, well, acknowledgement is one word. Uh, when I read it, I thought, well, maybe you should have said, is it proof? of being a Christian, and I don't think wearing a cross around your neck is a proof of being a Christian. It's a pretty good indication. Uh, people tend to wear things that they're interested in. Uh, my friend up in South Dakota, uh, Jim, is a Minnesota Vikings fan, and if you see him in a purple sweatshirt uh, with the Vikings on the front, you probably got a pretty good clue that he likes the Vikings. So uh, it's an indication but it's not proof because people can wear anything. But pretty good indication if somebody's got a cross around their neck, yeah, they probably at least uh, have some Christian leanings. Now, I, will want, I do want to mention one danger uh, of thinking about well, what they wear proves how religious they are or what religion they are or whatever. Uh, Jesus had a warning about this, and it's in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5. Let's read it. He's talking about the Pharisees, and he said, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us in this day because uh, unless you're an Orthodox Jew, you don't know much what a phylactery or long fringes are. So I found a picture of an Orthodox Jew. Let's put that up. Uh, this fellow has a little box on his forehead. That's a phylactery. Uh, the Orthodox Jews in Jesus' days, Pharisees, wore those and put scriptures inside them uh, to show that the scriptures were always on their mind. That was the first thing they were thinking of. And then you see the fringes on that shawl that he's wearing. Uh, the longer they were, uh, the more religious you were in some way. Okay, So Jesus talked about the people in his day that did that and made their phylacteries bigger and bigger so they'd impress people. And you remember Jesus told them they were hypocrites. So what you wear is a good indication of your interests in life. Uh, but just seeing somebody, you see somebody with a great big cross on, uh, you know, it's an indication he honors Christ, but uh, could be just trying to impress people. So that's the only warning I've got about that, about wearing jewelry to prove that you're a Christian. Good indication, not absolute proof. All right. Uh, the next question the viewer wants to know about is a oh, not too hard. It's just a pretty simple question here. What's the difference between the soul 
and the Spirit. Well, uh, that's a, a challenging one, I'll give you that. It is, um, can be very confusing because I'm trying to, they're, they're two separate parts of human beings and they're, yet they're very, very close and similar. Um, I always kind of try to think of it like this. The soul is the essence of who you are. Uh, somebody once said, you, it's not that you have a soul, uh, it's you are a soul. Uh, most people think I'm a body with a soul, and it's actually the other way around. You're a soul with a body, and at some point your body will wear out. Paul calls it a tent. But the soul, the, the part of you that makes you you, uh, that, that goes on. The spirit, um, I view that as the part of us which has the ability to connect to have relationship with the divine. John chapter 4 verse 24 that Jesus said that God is spirit. Um, human beings have a spirit, but we are not spirit. Right? We have, um, uh, you know, there, you see in the gospel accounts there are spirits. Uh, there, uh, Jesus said that God Himself is spirit, meaning He He doesn't have a, a height, He doesn't have an eye color, He doesn't have a, a physical manifestation like you and I manifest our bodies. And human beings have a uh, this part within us that allows us to be spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how you were dead in sin. Well, it's not talking about physically you were alive, but in the spirit, your spirit was dead because of sin. Now, because of Jesus, our spirit can be made alive with Christ. And so the spirit, I view it as kind of the, the part of us that's able to connect to God. And this, the Bible, the, the New Testament, is very clear that the only way to do that is by being in Christ. Otherwise, you're dead in your sin. So uh, it, they, they are very closely connected, but they're definitely separate. And uh, the reason you probably ask this question is because it comes from a verse that, that uh, tells us they're different. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews there is taking things that are very close together, things that are almost inseparable, and he's really not making a point about soul and spirit any more than he's making a point about joints and marrow or thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's saying there are things in life that are so close together you can almost not tell the difference, and yet the Word of God has the power to distinguish between the two. And so uh, the, the point in Hebrews 4.12 is not about the soul and spirit, but more about the, the, the precision of God's Word, which is why we should read it and study it. And, and even if we've read it once, we keep reading it. And even if we've studied it, to keep studying it because it, it helps clearly, precisely show us what is true and what is right. But the soul and spirit are very, very close. Um, the, that's really the point of Hebrews 4.12, is that it's the precision and the power and the sharpness of God's Word. So I hope that uh, helps just a little bit. It is a, a challenging subject. Okay. And a question about dreams. We were wanting to know, does God still 
communicate to us through dreams. Well, we know he did in the Bible. We read a lot of stories about him giving directions through dreams. And uh, let's just read a verse about it and see if he still does that. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay, there's the timeline. Long ago, uh, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, our ancestors, uh, by the prophets. But now he speaks through his Son. So there's the answer to your question. No, he doesn't give us new information uh, through dreams. Uh, he used to tell Abraham which direction to go in a dream. He told Joseph of what was going to happen through a dream. He gave them information, gave them directions, uh, and all of that. And that's what the writer says. In the past, many times, many ways, he talked to people. But now he speaks through his son. So uh, we have all we need to know from his son. The Bible itself says that. Uh, that it's once and for all delivered. Uh, it's got all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's all we need. He's not going to give us new information, new direction. Now, does he speak to us in dreams about other things? Uh, give us some kind of uh, moral clarity on something or help us understand something? Uh, we don't understand the mind. We don't understand dreams. We don't understand how all that works. Uh, God created it all, so he can use it any way he wants. And sometimes we uh, go to sleep wondering about something or thinking about uh, something we don't know the answer to, and in the morning we wake up and we have some clarity on it, or maybe in the middle of the night we wake up and have some clarity on it or some insight, or we think we understand it better. Uh, well, we can say, God gave me the answer in a dream. Uh, I can't prove you right or wrong, and you can't prove yourself right or wrong. Uh, maybe the brain just works on things, even while we're sleeping, and uh, comes up with a little different take on something. We just don't know. Uh, what I would say is, be very cautious, uh, well, more than cautious, when somebody tells me, God told me this God told me this is the way it ought to happen. And that happens a lot on religious TV, I'm afraid to say. Uh, there are folks on religious TV programs that say, uh, God came to me in a dream and told me I was supposed to buy another jet. And he also told me you were supposed to provide the money for it. So uh, when you hear things like that, be pretty leery about it. But. Uh, no, God doesn't give us any new information in dreams or uh, all that. Uh, our minds may be led to understanding or clarify something or an insight into something we've been wondering about. Uh, but even then, we can't prove if it's from God or not. All right, very quickly, let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you or put on the air by Churches of Christ and produced by Church of Christ. And we like to mention some of them each week. Today, let me mention one up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the Sioux Falls Church of Christ. Great group of folks up there. 
uh, go visit them. You might even get to meet my friend Jim. But I don't think he'll have his Minnesota Vikings jersey on, but uh, he'll be there. So uh, Sioux Falls Church of Christ, great bunch of folks. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, drop in and visit them. Uh, maybe you know somebody that attends that church and tell them you saw them on Know Your Bible and you appreciate the program. Whatever viewing area you're in, Church of Christ near you, drop in and visit them and uh, you'll find some folks that think and study about the Bible a lot like we do here. So visit one. All right, Toby, what you got here? Yeah, I have a question about the word sepulcher. Uh, the the word they just want to know what does the word sepulcher mean? Uh, well, it's uh, a word that has its uh, uh, originates in the it's a Latin word and it's used to translate a, a Hebrew word. So you get some some translation issues there. Um, and basically, if you look up the strict definition, it is uh, a chamber cut into solid rock used as a burial room or as a tomb. Now this word sepulcher is is pretty much only found in the King James translation of the Bible. Uh, most of the other translations just simply call it a tomb. But um, there are different types of tomb and the, this idea was one that was cut out of rock. Jesus's tomb was one that was c cut out of the rock and the um, uh, one example I have of this is Acts 2.29 that will not be on the screen, but David said, or uh, Peter rather, said, Men and brethren, let me freely speak, and I'm reading out of the King James, unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us to this unto this day. Now, if you look that up in any other modern English translation, the NIV, the English Standard Version, they all simply use the word tomb, and I think that conveys the, the same idea. So it's just a burial place, and it's a, an older word. Uh, most modern translations translate it into tomb. Hope that's helpful. I like tomb a whole lot better, because sepulcher is hard to say. It, it's way harder to say. <laughs> that's why I gave you that question, you. so I didn't have to say it. <laughs> all right, why did Jesus say, why have you forsaken me when he knew he was going to die. All right, so viewers referring to the scene on the cross where at the time that Jesus was about to die, at the time that God forsook him, uh, when he became sin for all of us, uh, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And our viewer said, well, he knew what was going to happen. Why was he surprised by it? Uh, and I think the best explanation is that Jesus, being fully human, uh, understood what he was doing to whatever degree was possible. But when it happened, uh, the reality of being separated from the Father for the first time in eternity, uh, the reality of it was worse than anybody could imagine. The, that anybody could have foreseen or that he even realized. He didn't know what separation from the Father would be like. 
And when it happened, uh, he cried out, why has this happened? So uh, that's the only explanation I have is that it was the actuality was a whole lot worse than it could have even been imagined by even the Son of God. We're out of time, but we're going to answer our trivia question today. What was the occupation of Demetrius? Uh, Demetrius was a silversmith and had all sorts of trouble with Paul and the missionaries. Glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week. Till then, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.